Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 20 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is on data security compliance with Lauren Connell, Managing Associate at the Volkoff Law Group. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. In today's episode, I'm excited to welcome back Lauren Connell, who I work with, obviously. Uh, She is the Managing Associate from the Volkoff Law Group. Welcome, Lauren, and it's a pleasure to have you back here on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Thank you, Mike. I'm happy to be back to discuss data security and compliance. This is actually one of my favorite topics. Last time we talked, it was about the uh, GDPR, but there's so much more to talk about around this topic. It's a really quickly growing area. Well, as you mentioned, uh, and it, it obviously is a quickly growing area, and one of the reasons uh, is there's a lot of concern about the GDPR, which I think is effective in upcoming May 2018. By the way, Happy New Year to you, Lauren, and to everybody else. But uh, uh, And th- so there's been a lot more attention, I think, on the issue of data privacy and security. And I mean, why do you, why do you think that is? What's the reason for that? That's a good question, Mike. Data security, it's always been somewhat of a simmering issue, but I think you're right that in the last year or two, it really has kind of boiled over. And I I think that's because there have been so many high-profile data security breaches in the past, you know, six to 12 months or so, and that has really focused attention on this issue. Yeah, I mean, it seems like we have, you know, big news stories about data security breaches, but we've had those like for years. I mean, going back to even Target and other the uh, incidents that occurred in the past, but it seems like um, there have been sort of more recent hacking incidents. And are they like in your mind, you know, different from what we've seen before? I believe that it's because hackers are getting more creative. The High-profile thefts that we've seen lately, you know, business and trade secrets. One example is HBO's hack in May of last year. That is 2017, as you said. Happy New Year to everyone. Where And in that hack, there were several unaired programs and scripts that were released. And one of the things that really got people talking about it was an unreleased Game of Thrones episode was, was came out. And not to mention, though, that that same hack also included internal corporate documents, emails, personal employee information, you know, the list goes on. But that that information didn't make it into the news as much. And actually, that hacker had tried to extort $6 billion in Bitcoin for his stolen data from HBO. So an, another example from May of 2017, you know, the same month as the HBO hack, were the ransomware attacks that hit worldwide, but were especially damaging in Europe. Those attacks targeted the UK healthcare system. They, it actually shut down 16 hospitals, and each, each of these locked down computers, the ransomware, ended up asking for $300 in Bitcoin to access it, um, but it turns out it didn't actually work. Uh, that hack is actually recently been attributed to North Korea that took advantage of an operating system vulnerability. And so those two two hacks, the HBO hack and then the you know UK healthcare system where people see hospitals actually 
facing problems providing care for patients. Those are, are two things that really grab people, people's attention more than, like you said, the kind of credit card theft that we've seen in the past. And so businesses are also seeing this very real criminal threat that they're facing. And they see it that it's more harmful and more creative than what we've seen in the past, as damaging as, you know, credit card information thefts are. What about at the same time that there's public concern or, you know, it gets reported in the press, are, uh, is your experience or is your impression that regulators' uh, expectations are changing as well? Yeah, regulars are, regulators are reading about these hacks too, and they see this writing on the wall just, just like we are. They already know that technology is playing an increasingly prominent role in how business gets done. We, we see FP, FCPA enforcement actions that are based on emails. And, you know, as anybody who's engaged in discovery for almost any lawsuit knows, people put a lot in their emails, sometimes to their detriment. But now people are communicating in a whole host of other ways, and that information might not be getting saved the way we've seen emails being saved for example, text messages, you know, on a personal device, there's no guarantee that DOJ or SEC is going to get that from a company providing documents related to an investigation. And so regulators are, are taking notice of how technology is working within the business. The DOJ's recently released the FCPA corporate enforcement policy, and they actually actively addressed this issue with a section about the retention and destruction of electronic records. And I'm, I'm going to actually give you a short quote here because it's directly from the DOJ. And they say that they're prohibiting employees from using software that generates but does not appropriately retain business records. Or So the DOJ is also raising expectations for companies about the business record storage and how that relates to technology use within the industry and within business in general. The financial industry has actually been required to adhere to strict record-keeping requirements for many years, and now the DOJ is saying other industries also need to be paying attention to how their employees are communicating. So now you have to ask questions about, you know, how your employees are using messaging apps to communicate while at work. What about after business hours? Are those messages being saved? So it's not just technology as far as what might be hacked, but it's also how technology is being used within your business. Well, one trend that I've seen for a, a, a while, and uh, I've actually written about it on our blog, is um, the implications of social media, the compliance implications of social media. And now companies, uh, and obviously there are employment issues that are really significant. We've had labor union organization cases where um, communications on Facebook or whatever were relevant to uh, claims made by unions or people trying to organize unions in various businesses. So you have to sort of balance um, individual rights to use your social media, you know, however you want to use it. But you're also uh, you have corporate interests or business interests that have to be balanced. So how do you see like balancing, you know, my right to use, you know, to post something on Facebook, my own personal account, and, um, you know, I'm working for a company. How do I, how do they balance those two interests there? Yeah. So you've hit on another area that 
businesses are struggling with when it comes to technology and that, and that's social media. And we all have seen communications on social media causing problems for company. And like you said, you know, it causes somewhat of a tension between, you know, rights to use it. And the best approach here is to design a policy, communicate it, and consistently apply it. And that process involves defining your organization's official social media channels and the individuals who are going to be responsible for them. And by definition, other social media channels are going to be defined as personal. Employees have to understand that they should not use their personal channel to conduct business or speak on behalf of the company and vice versa. There are some concerns, as you mentioned, related to social media policies, depending on what industry you're in. But in general, that's a a good approach to take. Well, are there other kinds of issues that, you know, you see coming up in the use of social media uh, in the in the and the compliance issues that get raised in that context? Social media kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier, and it's closely tied to how your employees communicate electronically. And the solution for both these areas, how your business communicates and how it uses social media, is to be proactive in setting clear definitions of what is acceptable and unacceptable. Your employees should know exactly what software programs they are permitted to use to conduct business, and everything else should really be off limits when it comes to the workplace. And that means really off limits. You can install programs and work with your technology department so that Certain programs cannot be downloaded in the workplace, and I, I recommend you know building that relationship with the technology department to help them put in control to to support your policies. But doesn't this all get complicated even more by um, the fact that we have computers? You know, we have our laptop computers, and and now people more and more of sort of you know let's just say processing and work is being done on phones, iPads. Um, and, you know, so people are using their personal iPad or their personal phone, let's say, um, to do work on. So how do, you, how, do, how do companies tackle that problem then? I think what you're talking about here is what that many companies are referring to as a bring your own device policy or a BYOD. And that, Companies like it because it saves them money and employees like it because then they can choose their own preferred device. You know, some people are want iPhones, some people don't. And maybe even more importantly, they don't actually have to carry around two different cell phones then. But again, to do this, you have to set clear boundaries about what is work-related and what's personal. An example here is, is many companies require employees that use their own phone to log into a secure portal to access email or communicate with colleagues. And that helps to define the boundary between personal and work-related communications. It draws that line by requiring that extra step. And people are less likely to mistake their personal email for their work email when they have to actively log in. Now, of course, BYOD policies also raise basic security concerns. People have a wide range of expectations about how securely they keep their devices. Some people that you know likely set strong passwords and, you know, have a lock screen that pop up after only a few minutes. And I'm sure there are other people that you know which are much more relaxed and some people might not even set a password. 
But if your employees are going to keep sensitive company information on their own device, you're going to have to have them agree to abide by your minimum security standards. And your BYOD policy has to set those standards so that your confidential information is not compromised. And even with a clear policy, companies, you're still going to need to audit employee compliance with those standards or or otherwise oversee it. I mean, that to me just raises a lot of issues about how are we going to monitor those policies? How are we going to make sure that people follow those policies? Um, and I, I just see that as a, a tougher and tougher issue. And particularly, like what happens then when you have employees, for example, who work from home? Uh, and there are a lot more people who do that, in, you know, including our firm. Um, but how does that work then? Yeah, that does complicate things a bit. And, and we're all, we are seeing, like you said, more and more employees, employers are moving to allow for flexible work schedules. And, you know, our firm uses that model and the benefit is clear. Employees can be more productive when they are, you know, able to flexibly balance their home and work life. But flexible work schedules also mean that employees are conducting a greater amount of business from their personal spaces. And that concern brings up the same concern we just discussed about devices and, you know, who, how to keep information secure. The important thing here is going to be to work with your technology department, your IT department, to determine what is necessary to keep your information safe and make sure that business records are being properly created, no matter where an employee is, whether they're at home, whether they're at work, just wherever they're conducting business. And of course, the next step, just as for all compliance policies, is to operationalize that policy. And here, of course, you have to work with your technology department, and they can help you by coding in some of your policy requirements. For example, you can require an elevated security protocol when accessing your network remotely or something along those lines. And, you know, you use the term and you've mentioned the importance of security a few times. And um, I think it's always important because uh, to define that term, because it, there's a lot of nuance to it and implications in the real world in terms of how security is applied in the context of what technology or specific technologies so give us a, if you can just sort of outline a little bit the, you know, how you view security when looking at these types of issues. This issue comes up a lot in the context of what we've just been talking about, working from home, working remotely, and BYOD policies. But when it comes to technology, your organization should always just focus on two different types of security, physical and software-based. And the physical security aspect is familiar to most of us, you know, doors that lock, access limits, requiring ID badges to access, you know, certain sensitive areas. But software security is might be a little less familiar to you and, and other people working in compliance departments. And that's requirements for changing your password, limiting network access, and anti-hacking programs that, that can be installed, updating your computer. And your technology department is going to be be in the best position to work with you to determine what is needed. But then you in the compliance department are going to be in the best position to communicate that to employees, to actually bring, bring what the goal is in the policy into practice to operationalize it. I mean, what you just described is a, a really important point, and I want to sort of try to emphasize it and ask you about it. 
But, you know, this whole area of compliance is no longer just sort of the province of the information technology department. What you're saying is in the description that you just made about the compliance department's role is, you know, they're responsible for operationalizing the policies and procedures. So what? how do you see these two roles between the information technology department and the compliance department, and what roles do you see them each playing in that? Because that's a really important point, I think, for the future. Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's something I'm sure organizations are going to struggle with getting this, the roles and responsibilities defined correctly. And compliance officers are taking on an ever-increasing portfolio of responsibilities. As technology advances, compliance officers are going to spend more time collaborating with your technology and your IT department. And in larger organizations, that's going to mean forming relationships with the chief information security officer or the data protection officer, just the same way that compliance officers are currently forming relationships with HR and sales and finance other people in the organization that are going to help them achieve their goals. That's what it's really going to come down to is, is strengthening those relationships that cut across operational functions. Um, what else do you see in terms of, and uh, you know, we're coming up against the end of the interview here, but uh, can you just sort of outline for us that, other things that the compliance department can do or other like sort of issues you see them addressing? Um, because I think this is, you know, I really think this is going to be the future in terms of compliance taking on this uh, the way that you've described. So, I mean, we're kind of witnessing a, a transformation in the industry right now. So what else do compliance officers or departments need to know? There's one interesting thing that I've seen recently that I think is worth mentioning and it kind of gets right at the heart of how compliance departments are taking a role in operationalizing policies and procedures that are technology-based, really, and in, as a result, improving your data security and your technology management. And so this has to do with vendors who are providing phishing training to your employees. I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with, with what phishing is, but that's where a scam uh, name of, of a scam where hackers try to pull out sensitive information from your employees by sending them scam emails that ask for information or links that direct them to a fake website that they might click on something and download malware. And all of a sudden, you know, there you have a, a hacker now as a portal into your system. It's really a huge security concern for organizations. But up to now, it's been tough to combat because people believe what they read in emails especially when they arrive looking pretty official and, and the website that they get directed to might, might also look official. So this goes, at, goes directly into what we were talking about earlier about where kind of physical security and software security intersect. You know, you have to physically click on that link in order to breach the security, but it, it can be addressed through, through software approaches. And I recently actually worked with a company who used a vendor that was contracted to send fake phishing emails. So you're, so you're faking a fake email now wow. to employees. Yeah, yeah, it kind of digs down. Um, and employees would receive the suspicious emails to see if they would click on the link, if they would fall for that. And if they did, they got a message about the dangers of phishing and what they can do 
to recognize fake emails. And the compliance department helped roll out that program to employees. And they employed, a, you know, a game-like approach, emphasizing that you don't want to be the employee to get fooled by these fake emails. And so it really shows how compliance departments can play a role in training when it comes to technology. And, and I think it's a good example of, of why compliance departments are so critical. Your technology department can implement software controls and security protocols all day and night, but ultimately your, your vulnerability is going to be, is also going to be in a unsuspecting workforce and compliance departments and individuals are good at taking policies and procedures and operationalizing them. And so this training is just one example of how you can do that is, is really making it effective within the business operations. Well, thank you, Lauren. Uh, thanks for your time and the information on this important issue of digital security. Um, and if listeners need to reach you, uh, how can they contact you? So I'm always interested in hearing data security or other compliance concerns. This is a really neat area to discuss. And you can find my contact information on our website, which is volkofflaw.com, as you know, Mike. Or my email is lconnell at volkovlaw.com. And I'm, I'm always happy to, to hear from, from people on this area. Well, thanks again, uh, Lauren. That, that was terrific and uh, very yeah, helpful. Thanks and for having me. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I really think this is a cutting edge issue uh, and th yep. things that uh, compliance people need to really get up to speed on. Um, and uh, you've identified a lot of uh, interesting issues that can have a real impact on a business. So um, thanks, thanks again. Anyways, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please uh, subscribe to our podcast series. Uh, the Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested in the company, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our new podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help to achieve your goals.